This is the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 534, brought to you by Hacker Mosher, just like you. You just can't stand the way that I walked out from the wreckage. Can't understand the way that I turned myself Welcome to the iFanboy Pick of the Podcast, episode 534. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Ron Richards. Hi, Connor. Full stop. No Josh Flanagan. None. We have exercised the demon. <laughs> we have, we've had our fill. Yeah. Listen, sometimes you go to work and uh, the guy who sits next to you doesn't sit next to you anymore. And uh, that might have happened. Uh, Josh <laughs> might have been laid. Josh might have been laid off this morning. Uh, it was a rough morning for HR. But uh, listen, we had to make some cuts and uh, Josh just wasn't cutting it. Or he's on a plane right now. One or, he's fly, or he's flying home from San Francisco. <laughs> one of those two. So we are our iFanboy. We like comics. We read a bunch of comics. One of us picks their favorite book. We call that the pick of the week. We'll talk about that book, other books, talk about some other fun stuff. Listener mail. It's fun for everyone. Here's your spoiler warning. This is a review show. There'll probably be some spoilers. So if you're that kind of person who's worried about it, exercise of caution. Ron, you had to pick on a very light week, at least for me. Uh, it, it was a, it was a formidable week. I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far to say it was light. I actually found myself reading a, a bunch of books that I was actually really excited about, and um, there were a, honestly there was it was one of those weeks where there wasn't like a insane like no brainer slam dunk release, uh-huh. but there were a bunch of books that I could have easily made pick of the week. Interesting. I only had nine books in my stack. Oh, interesting. How many did I had? I had. You, you're always up on the numbers. I don't count. I'm not as number-centric as you are. I had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. I had 13 books. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah, it's a fair, a fair, uh, fair that's, mix. That's a, that's a fair week. Yeah, but uh, ultimately, the comedy stylings of one Mr. Chip Zdarsky teaming up with Mr. Kevin McGuire on Howard the Duck number 7 won me over and gave me uh, pushed push to the top of the pack as – Pretty much, you 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 get a big bowl. You go to you go to Marvel's office in Man, in Manhattan here in New York City, and you get a big bowl and you put in a little Chip Zdarsky, a little Kevin McGuire, a little uh, a whole lot of Howard the Duck, a little bit of She Hulk, a little bit of Daredevil, a little bit of Spider Man, a little bit of Captain Steve, <laughs> and you get you get a a riotous good time. Well, <laughs> I saw you made this to pick, and I thought, oh, another Howard the Duck issue, <laughs> and then I thought, oh God, Josh is going to be on. It means I have to talk about it. Uh, but then I saw that it was McGuire, so I got it and read it, and it was very good. It was great, wasn't it? Was, it it was, was. If this was the book, and what I mean is if it was Kevin McGuire drawing it and it was Howard the Duck and a bunch of ra- uh, random superheroes every week, I'd probably read it. And it ha- and, and for the most part, it has. It, it's been a little bit of it. Um, it's definitely Howard in, in the Marvel Universe very active, and there have been cameos. There were Doctor Strangers in previous issues and things like that. And nothing against the, the art stylings of the regular uh, artist Joe Qu- uh, Quiones. He's great. He's great. He's fantastic. But there's something about... Kevin Maguire and humor-based material. Mm-hmm. That and and the thing was this this wasn't even 
the the yucks of Justice League International that we oh, you know it, the classic kind of humor yeah it's a totally different kind of humor but to see Kevin McGuire drawing these characters which to, you know to, I mean he's done some stuff in Marvel but I always think of him more in a DC context right so it was a lot of fun to see that but then also to see listen say what you will whether you like Chip Zdarsky or not he knows how to have fun with these characters right and there's actually a lot of really good jokes in this book there is and it's this is the kind of book, since it stars a talking duck, that you can use to skewer the the industry or the superhero. I mean, you don't – I don't want that all the time. But it's every once in a while I like yes. to have the industry skewered. And this is the kind of book where you can really take the piss out of a lot of these characters. Yeah. I don't know if I'm on a little bit of a Spider-Man high after seeing Civil War, but I thought all the Spider-Man stuff in here was gold. Yep. The part where he's in the tree and – <laughs> how the duck tells him to get some empathy and he says but Uncle Ben and Gwen hi <laughs> yeah. and he just looks away it's just you know it's it, I was just I was very I read this right after coming back from the movie and I, I I really enjoyed all of it yeah Daredevil you know barely holding onto a sacred identity and then the old man Steve even though, even though he's not old man anymore in the books it doesn't matter in a book like this because it's not really well I think they, they and they also qualified the beginning of when this takes place and it took place before Anything, you know, or it just takes place in the Howard Duck bubble. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's not, these characters don't exactly match up to their other yeah. counterparts. But I, I just think this, this was, this was tons of fun. Yeah, it, I mean, it was a lot of fun. I, I, it was funny because I just flipped, I flipped over to the to the opening to the title page uh, to see the recap, and I see the recap ends with <laughs> before any of that even more cool stuff happened. Like what you ask, do I have to spoon feed you everything? Just turn the page and read for yourself. Jeez, <laughs> it's just there's this the the Howard the Duck uh, obnoxiousness that Zadarsky is dialed into and is very very funny, and and using Howard as that cipher, as that intro, as that you know entry point into being. Being able to poke fun at you know whether it's Peter Parker and Spider Man or it's you know or Captain America like when they're when like when they're flaw so the, so part of it is that they're working on a case She Hulk is defending a uh, someone and Daredevil's trying to prosecute him that's why they're involved so there's a legal kind of thing and it turns out they've got to go to the Savage Land and so they get a Quinjet and they get Captain Steve to take them to the Savage Land and Captain Steve is lecturing them about how the Savage Land is a protective area by the UN etc and Howard's going geez when did Captain America become Captain United Nations, right. <laughs> and then he goes, "I'm just Steve now." <laughs> like it just—it's—it's it's the he has a license to say whatever he wants, and it's stuff that we think about and we, we often joke about. But Howard the Duck will say it, and will and in the context of that, it's funny to see to put them in a position where the characters have to react to that. Like you said, like with the Uncle Ben Gwen moment and that sort of thing. And Spider Man's there, and they end up having to fight a bunch of dinosaurs because they're in Savage Land, and there's sort of a you know take on Jurassic Park there. It's just, it's, it, a lot of things get made fun of, but it's also a fun, you know, kind of adventure story. And Kevin McGuire yeah. is a, one of the best artists in comics and he does great dinosaurs. Yeah. What was interesting is that recently we've been pretty critical of Kevin McGuire's work, mainly because oh, yes. um, he's, he's, he's had some challenges uh, with colorists, but interesting that they chose to have series regular artist Joe Keones, um, along with some assists, do the coloring to keep it, and which I thought was a, a, a smart move because it's keeping it in the color palette of the series th so far. You know, yes. so it's ma it's maintaining that artistic consistency. I was about three pages in when I furiously scrolled back to the front to, to see who the colorist was because... As you said, for many years, Kevin McGuire had his own personal colorist who was less than professional level yeah. and was really destroying his artwork. And I, this, this looked really good, so I was very happy to see. 
Yeah, so it's Joe Kionez with Jordan Gibson doing the color art. Yeah. I, I did like the bit in the beginning when they, they were trying to get the information at, at a gala in uh, Manhattan and they had Peter Parker working undercover, but everyone th- you know, that Peter, you know, Peter set up this whole thing where he's the head of Parker Industries and Spider-Man's his bodyguard. And so they, they're talking to Peter and then Howard calls Spider-Man and Peter's got to switch over to the phone and be like, Oh, Hey, just fighting Doc Ock. You know, like, <laughs> just like... <laughs> it was funny. I think anyone, you know, I haven't read any, any, any issues of this before, so you can totally pick this up. Yeah. You know, and have an enjoyable one-shot story. Also, I gotta I gotta give Zdarsky credit for uh, not going to the well too much. In in the very first page at that gala where Peter Parker's undercover, there are two editor like asterisk notes. Right. But then he doesn't go back to that well again. But they were very funny. I mean, so he when he said when it's Peter Parker saying that he's the head of Parker Industries, and the the editor note says it's true. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, it was made up by Dan Slott, but you know what I mean. <laughs> well, there's one more note when they're flying the Quinjet about uh, right uh, something. Well, actually, there's a couple more because there's a Brew, there Brew is, Baker, yeah. there's a Brewbaker one on the Savage Land. Oh, the, and there's also the the uh, the petition to make Lockjaw Daredevil seeing eye dog. Actually, there's a lot of them. The spiders. There actually are, yeah. But they didn't. It didn't. It didn't feel. It didn't feel like he was overdoing it. They felt right, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it was a nice battle. I, everything about this issue worked. If it had been, this might have been my pick because I didn't really have any. <laughs> when, 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 when everyone was uh, getting mad at Spider-Man for not knowing how his spider sense works, yes. <laughs> Spider-Man says, have none of you read my blog? And the editor's note says, spider sense and sensibility and also responsibility.weblog.biz. <laughs> That was that's good. Sadarsky's funny. I, I he cracks me up, and yeah, and like you said, this is it's a one shot. If you're not reading Howard the Duck, you don't need to have read the series before. If you just want to kind of partake in the art, you know, in the artistic fun, mm-hmm. and it's just a, it's just an adventure, and it all wraps up at the end in a nice little kind of nice little moment. Yep. Yeah. So it was good. It, well, well deserved pick of the week in my book. Before I read Howard the Duck Seven, I probably would have given it to Black Widow Three. I'm not really responding to the story all that much at the moment, but I am, as we always do with Somni's art, just enjoying living in this visual world. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. This was really a... Um, close? It was a close runner-up to the pick of the week. Mm-hmm. And part of it was because I felt as if the first two issues were really uh, almost... should have been one double-sized issue. Right. And it was that kind of fast, you know, that fast kind of action scene. And then the second issue kind of gave us a little more insight as to what was going on. But this issue with the combination of the flashbacks and the, just the, the, the storytelling narrative approach, I thought this issue has been the best of the three issues so far. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It has the most interesting st- stuff to tell about Black Widow's past. Even her past, I never really know with Black Widow, which what I'm reading is it, you know, in the comics, she's still from the World War II era. I don't know if that's been retconned or not. I don't. Right. To me, Black Widow's always been the immortal spy from World War Russia. II. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know if that's the case anymore. But 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 but, the, but the, it keeps up the whole idea of whatever the the academy that she went right. to. Right, and it doesn't really matter when that academy was. It, at yeah. some in her childhood, she was very brutally trained to be a spy, and she's still dealing with the re- repercussions of that. And that's that's totally fine. Doesn't matter when. I just for myself, I don't know. But here, there's still enough mystery where I'm not exactly sure what's going on. Right. Yeah. I know people are trying to kill her as she's trying to find information in this old shack where she was trained, uh, and, and that's okay, but right, I, w- I need very soon to have some idea of what the overall story here is, because we're th- halfway through a collected edition at this point, and I don't know what's happening. Right. 
Um, but but I will say I will say there was that one splash page where she's fighting the guy and, and the the fight is happening in the present day and it's kind of in the background and in the foreground in the red colored of the, the so they color they colored all the flashback scenes in this red kind of tone yeah. and in the foreground of that you have um, you know kind of three figures of of a young Natasha Romanov doing ballet and then clearly an older one doing ballet and then in present day in her black widow costume as she polishes off the guy in the fight you know kind of balancing between the ballet and the fighting style kind of uh the the russian yeah, that was training really great that, page. Yeah. that that page, that page alone was just like oh wow that's just like that's just like like that's just art you know, like from like like what Somni's doing on our artistic level is is like leveling up, and that page could stand on its own, and it tells a story there. Like you, like if you just look at that one page, you could tell the whole story of this issue from that one page. I feel like Somni is the new Ramita. Interesting. Senior in that he was sort of this gold standard in storytelling. Yeah. I feel like they should have, you know, sometime in the future when he's a little older and needs to slow down a little bit, <laughs> Somni teach, you know, new comic artists how to tell a story because yeah. There's a lot of people as good as him, but I don't know if there's anybody better than him. Right, yeah, no, and I agree. I mean, and those are pretty big shoes to fill. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the, the elegance of which uh, Somni storytelling goes and the flow and the pace of the story, it just, every time it just, it's amazing. And, and that's what, with those first two issues that were really more, that were fast-paced and kind of action scenes, you know, this tells a more kind of complete story. You get a, you get a sense of, of you know, black, you know this, the issue starts with Black Widow just walking through New York City and random people telling her things, which I thought was kind of weird, which is like, were they all spy people? Or were they mind-controlled? Right. Or what the yeah. yeah. That's what I mean. There's just a lot of questions left. I don't yeah. know exactly what's happening. It's not terrible, but by issue four next month, I better have a good idea of what's happening. Yeah. But, but Somni's doing a great job of pulling you into it. Yeah. And I, I will be honest, one of the things that almost gave a pick of the week alone was that she travels to the airport, and then we get a third-of-the-page panel of a map of North America with a line to Russia to to show to show her traveling and I was like hey anytime there's a map Indiana Jones style map of Indiana travel Indiana Jones had a lot of effect on Young Ron's it, it really did it really did yeah if they could have made a way for the dot to go across animate across that would have been perfect that would have been fantastic yeah exactly or just or just a shot of uh of Black Widow kind of napping on the plane while right. the map is going and, or just to have Chris Omni and Mark Way do an Indiana Jones book I would oh sign me up for that wow. You gotta wonder with the assumption that that they actually make this next Indiana Jones movie. Right. <laughs> I mean, Marvel could make Indiana Jones comics. That could be something we see. I would love that. Yeah. If this team did it. Well, it go, it goes back to the. I mean, as my, I, I mean, hypothetically, if they had done a fourth Indiana Jones movie, which we all know they didn't, hypothetically, in that movie, they might have mentioned Indiana Jones's time during World War II. Right, as a, some sort of spy. Those would have been fantastic comic books. Yes. So Empress number two, Mark Miller, Stuart Eminem's icon book. I've got not a real problem with it. I mean, it's gorgeous. We all know Eminem's one of the best artists. We talk about him all the time. But I was halfway through this issue, and I was trying to figure out why I'm not connecting to this book like I have Miller's other books, which have all been, you know, most of his recent work's been six-issue minis, you know, short one-collection stories. But I feel like with those books, he's done a really good job of establishing the characters very quickly. And here, I don't know really anything about these people or why I should care about them other than they're being hunted. And I can, I can certainly go along with that ride because it's, it's drawn really well. But at the end of the day, I don't really care about these people because I don't know anything about them. I do not disagree with you. This second issue, after I finished the second issue, I, I was like, oh, man, 
this is kind of ending the run of perfection coming from Miller. Not ending the run, but yeah. it's just more. It's more like I, I get what he's doing. He's trying to do very big epic space opera, you know, kind of uh, kind of style. And I like and I like what Eminem's doing, and I like the world that we're in, and all this sort of stuff. But there's too many people, and I don't know who's who. Aside from uh, young George Lucas, right. I don't I don't know who uh, the 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 are the the Queen's protector with a beard uh, right. who looks like young George Lucas. I don't know who anybody is. I get the stakes. I get the idea that. You know, the queen and her children are running away from the evil, you know, dictator. I get that, but I can't keep track of. I mean, like it's a bunch. It's like a it's a mother and a bunch of kids, and I don't know. You know, yeah, it's like it's like you're. It's, we don't have a relationship with these people, right? And therefore, the danger that they get into, I don't feel the stakes, and so yeah, it's just it's. I, I, I'm hoping in the long run it all kind of pays off, and I'm going to stick with it because I love Eminem. Mm-hmm. But this isn't the immediately grab you and fall in love the way Hawk and Starlight did for us, uh, you know. Right, he, he, he did such a good job with those other books of immediately you loved Hawk, immediately you loved the main character in Starlight, immediately yeah. I loved the guys in MPH. Like he he did a really good job of that, and I don't know. It could just be a different style of storytelling here he's trying, and it's fine. It's fast-paced and high-concept and high-octane. And I get it, and they're, they're running for their lives, so I, I understand that at least. But at the end of the day, I don't even know their names, so... Yeah, exactly. How much am I supposed to care about them? It's tough, because I, really yeah. lo- I really want to love it. And, and that's the thing, is that, and it's a question of how much... I mean, this is, the, this is the, the classic kind of challenge in comics, but... You know how you know if someone is as talented and amazing as Eminem is, is just buying it to absorb the art and marvel at that enough, right? Or do you need that emotional resonance and that connection to the characters? I mean, of course. I mean, they go story and art go hand in hand, but it's the kind of thing I'm not going to stop reading it because I love Eminem and I want to see where it goes. But you know, I read my comics in order of excitement, and it is it, it, the next issue is going to be in the bottom third of the stack, not the top right. top third. Yeah, yeah I, don't, so. I don't get excited for it like I get excited for his other works, right? You know, lately. But yeah, that could change. I'm hoping it does, but if right now it's just disappointing. Yeah, which is which is so. I mean, which is such a bummer because I know how much reverent, reverence uh, Miller has for Star Wars and these type of stories. You know, and Starlight was so good. Yeah. Starlight was so good, but Starlight was a different kind of story. I mean, Starlight was Starlight was. I mean, wh- whether you want to go the Incredibles comparison or, or I'd, I'd rather go the no, Flash Starlight Gordon, was Flash yeah. Gordon, pulpy, and that was yeah, yeah. yeah. So unfollow one hundred and thirty-eight. Oh no! Wait, no, sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's just that the cover, the cover, is very confusing with yeah. these giant, you know, the giant one thirty-eight to, to denote how many people are alive from the original one forty. Yeah. Uh, draws your eye right to it. So if you didn't know any different, you'd think this was Unfollow 138. That's a very good point. That's a poor design decision. This issue, Rob Williams still writing, and this is you know the compelling. We've been talking about this Vertigo series is probably the breakout Vertigo series that all three of us mm-hmm. are on board with. You know, uh, telling the uh, a crazy billionaire who identifies 140 people to uh, receive his uh, his inheritance uh, via social network. And then, as they, as each, as as people die, the share that the the survivors get increases, and so that one thirty eight represents of the one forty, there are one hundred thirty eight still alive. And Rob Williams is doing a great job writing it, but this issue featured on art uh, Marguerite Savage, mm-hmm. who also did Scarlet Witch number six. And I wanted to highlight both these issues because if you're not familiar with Marguerite Savage, both of these issues will blow you away. I thought she was great. She was great, but it's, it's, it's the same problem I had with the last issue, which featured R.M. Guerra, who was also great, is that part of my love for this book was the world that 
uh, was being drawn in the first five ish, six issues. Right. That Dowling was drawing. Hopefully, hopefully this is just like a one trade worth of single issue stories focused on characters with different artists, and then we get back to Dowling's art. He had a creepiness to his art that really helped the, the tone of this book, and now that feeling is inherently gone for me. Yeah, yeah, and I could see that, and I, and I wonder now after having two issues with two guest artists and both issues being kind of single character focus, I wonder if that's the approach they're taking, and then the next arc will go back to the greater group or whatever. Like I, I'm curious what the what the plan is on this, but um, but th- this issue dove into uh, one of the, what yeah Courtney, who was one of the more compelling yes. and in- and interesting characters from the first arc, who is the you know kind of emotionally detached sex pot you know, kind of uh, rich girl kind of thing. And we, we find out her backstory and why she's like that. And, and I, 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 I'll, I'll, you know, slow clap for, for playing the fucked up vertigo card. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was all fucked up. And then her, her rebellion by going out and getting a reality show about her now that she's famous for having the money. Yeah. Uh, and then that blowing up in her face too. It was, it was a great issue. I just feel myself missing. Cause when that, when they, when those six issues were coming out, I think it was pick of the week three times. Yeah, yeah. it was something really special about that pairing, and it, yeah. it's it's still a really good book. It's just not upper echelon for me right now. Yeah, now that Dowling's not drawing it. Well, you well, well yeah. I mean, because the thing is, is that like, and it's almost it's almost like I wonder if these these singular origin stories or character focused kind of things ha- are happening too soon. Yes. You know, like, like, because this is a great device. I mean, like, especially from a publishing plan, you know, like, it's a great way to give the regular artist a little time to catch up and all this sort of stuff. And so, like, maybe doing one of these, like, do a story arc of five issues and then have one issue being one of these kind of origin stories and then do five more with the main story or do this kind of, you know, origin story, but in the third or fourth trade, you know, like, it just seems too soon. The main story is slowly progressing through these issues. Like, at the end of this, she moves into Akira's... Uh, weirdo compound commune yeah. yeah but you know it's slowing way down because we're spending a lot of time l- learning about these people and i realized we just talked about a book that we didn't where we said we didn't know anybody but i felt like we knew them well enough in that first six issues yeah or, or five issues to not necessarily need so many of these in a row but you know we'll see we'll see how this plays out yeah did you read scarlet witch number six no i haven't this was delightful. I mean, uh, the, 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 the delightful award for this issue, this episode is going to go to Scarlet Witch number six. All right. So, you know, James Robinson has been writing this, and it's been a different artist with every issue. And there's no real, you know, through uh, thread through these issues. They're all just kind of singular one-shot stories featuring the Scarlet Witch. And in this particular story, story again, Marguerite Savage is on art. And the art is just it's a it's it's a tour de force. I mean, like it's 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 going from unfollow and then the Scarlet Witch just showed that like if Marguerite Savage should absolutely be on people's radar as somebody is to watch. It the same style. Yeah, same style, different coloring, a little uh, a little softer coloring than on unfollow, uh, and I would say a little more flowery layouts on Scarlet Witch. Mm-hmm. Because I think you know, just because of the nature of the book and the you know have the, the approach, I actually really really love the uh, layouts and the use of panels that she uses in Scarlet Witch. They they got this great kind of like double lined red border to the panels, mm-hmm. which give you just a hint of Scarlet in in terms of the Scarlet Witch, but also makes them stand out and look really kind of unique. Um, Scarlet Witch is not in the gypsy costume here. She's in a, more of a a standard kind of superheroy kind of costume with like a bodysuit with a red cape type thing. Right. But basically, this is this all takes place in Paris after the terror attacks, 
and uh, there's a hero in Paris who I, I think I don't think we've ever met before, but it's a dude who's got wings, an angel-like character, and apparently his wife died in the terror attacks, and since his wife dying, he can't fly. Even though he's got the wings, he's kind of like impotent to his power. And so what happens is the Scarlet Witch conjures up a portal to the afterlife, and his wife is there, and he realizes that she's you know, has moved on to the next plane. And so then he goes, well, I can't live without her. So I'm going to kill myself. And, uh, Scarlet, Witch stops him. And then his wife yells at him and says, no, you need to live. You need to take this gift that you have. And I'm going to be here waiting for you, but there's still much more you need to do. And you need to sit, protect our city and save our city. And you need to fly. And it ends with a great, uh, full page splash page of him flying. And there's the Eiffel tower and Scarlet, Witch kind of looking. Yeah. I mean, like this issue was this issue and not to be too hyperbolic, but it, I think this is the best issue of the run so far because it, it not only was it really, really heartfelt and really emotional, but uh, I think James Robinson showed a restraint, uh, a kind of a less is more with a lot of the dialogue and with the, with the, with the, uh, with the text where previous issues have been very, very, very dialogue heavy. Mm-hmm. This flowed really nicely and was really focused. It was really tight, which I can appreciate from a storytelling standpoint. I mean, it, in one issue, he was able to introduce us to this character give us his origin, give us the conflict of what happened, have a really emotionally heavy event occur, um, and then give us redemption in 20 pages. Like that, that's, that's comic booking. I mean, that's why, I mean, that's why James Robinson is one of the greats right now. You know, like, I mean, he should be having the discipline to do that. And the Marguerite Savage just didn't miss a beat at all. Cool. This was a strong contender for pick of the week as well, too. If they just had one joke in here then it might have <laughs> no no just, it definitely wasn't Howard the Duck appearance yeah if Howard the Duck had appeared in this then it would have gotten it but no but uh yeah this was this was a uh, this was I actually and I actually give this an edge over unfollow as the better Marguerite Savage work um I would say go go to, if you get a chance go back to the store and take a look at it just because it's just it's beautiful all right Quick break in the action and tell you how you can help the show. Go to fanboy.com slash support. That's where you can find an Amazon link if you're making Amazon purchases. If you want to help us out, you can do it that way. You get a little piece of the sale. You don't lose any money. Only Amazon does, and we keep the lights on. Uh, also help us out directly by going to fanboy.com slash support and become an fanboy member. For 3 bucks a month or 30 bucks a year, you can help us out directly uh, by supporting the show. Also on that page, just a donation button. If you want to help out, give any, any amount you want. If you were you know, giving out grants like Tony Stark... Just randomly? We'll to Knox? Did Knox get a grant? Knox. I believe Knox got a start grant as well. So uh, you can go to fm.com slash support. That's how you can help us out. We appreciate everybody who does that. Thank you very much. All right. So moving along. Uh, so Image put out a book called Alpha King number one. Mm-hmm. Did you look at this at all? No, or? I did not. Okay. So there's a brewery in Indiana called Three Floyds Brewery. Okay. And, they, uh, and it's funny because Three Floyds actually has a – for for those in we're gonna pull back the curtain on the comic industry. Three Floyd's Brewery does a uh, they've got very kind of more like I would say like metal themed uh, beers. Okay, heavy metal. Yeah, heavy metal, like yeah, metal or heavy metal or whatever. And there's a very loose comics connection between them. I know Tim Seeley's done label art for them in the past, as well as some other comic artists have done label arts for them. And they also have like a festival that happens called Dark Lord Day. Where they release oh, they 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 release a this one type of beer the Dark Lord beer that comes out only at this festival and literally for years it was the same weekend as C two E two, and so what you had was you had 
uh, a select number of beer enthusiast comic creators often would disappear on Saturday of C2E2 because they drove down to Indiana to go to the to, to, for Dark Lord Day. And they have and at Dark Lord Day they have bands play and it's just a very it's very metal and it's in a lot of beer and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, like I'm looking at the uh, so Dark Lord Day this past year had uh, I Hate God and and Skeleton Witch and and Municipal Waste and Plague Bringer play. Are those folk bands? No, they're all metal bands. Yeah. But so not surprisingly, one of those creators that go- attends Dark Lord Day and is a beer enthusiast is Brian Azzarello. Not surprising at all. Not surprising at all. So what he has done is uh, he's teamed up with Three Floyds, and this book Alpha King is written by Brian Azzarello with art by Simon Bisley. Metal. Metal. And not only is it metal, but it's ridiculous <laughs> where, where uh, there's a, a, a home brewer in Indiana who then something happens and becomes the Alpha King and becomes this warrior. And I don't know what's going on, but it, there, it was very Warcraft-esque in terms of the, the creatures. And, I mean, it's Simon Bisley drawing a metal book about a beer like so is, is it takes place the modern day or is it or is it like it was a little mix it, it, it kind of it, what happens is that it, it starts off in some sort of fantasy world right it's a very warcraftian world by the way which by the way the warcraft movie is coming out very soon yes i don't know if you i don't know if you realize that uh i, I got an email like buy get your tickets for warcraft now it's like ooh, i gotta do that are we gonna do a show about that or now i don't know we should that'll be yeah, fun probably Okay. Anyway, um, but, but um, so it's a very kind of Warcrafty world, and then it cuts to Indiana, where this guy's homebrewing in his garage, and then something happens, and the worlds kind of uh, collide, and uh, then this the, the brewer then reemerges as the Alpha King, and that's where the issue ends, and we're gonna pick it up from there. So uh, I don't know if you're into beer, if you're into uh, into Three Floyds, if you're into metal. If you're into Brian Azzarello, I would say check it out. It was just it was fun. It was a lot of fun, but it's totally nonsense. No, just not nonsensical. Speaking of that, Superman coming of the coming of Superman number four. Are you reading this book? No, I'm not, and I forgot about it. And when you sent it over and I looked up to who who was the creator on it, I'm like, ah, oh, I gotta go back and read this. So this is the Neil Adams book. He p- oh, puts out so periodically a DC book. And uh, in the beginning it was I believe it was scripted by Tony Bedard in the very beginning, maybe the first issue, but it's been Neil Adams. Uh, at least this issue is all Neil Adams. Pure, un- unfiltered Pure Neil Adams. Pure Neil Adams. Unfiltered Neil Adams. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's just, there's this there's this Neil Adams tone that he does that no one else, and I really can't put my finger on it. It's just bombastic, strange tone, and his art is unlike everybody else's. So this book feels and looks unlike any other book on the stands. But mm. I wanted to highlight it because I could try to describe to you the story, but I don't... It features the new gods, uh, Orion, and they're fighting Darkseid, who's teamed up with Lex Luthor, who has gained a lot of weight from his normal appearance. <laughs> well, it's you can't you can't have Neil Adams just accept uh, the way a character looks now. Right. He's got he's got to give the Neil Adams touch. <laughs> uh, right, and there's a kid that Superman rescued in the first issue from the Middle East who has been kidnapped to Apocalypse, and Granny Goodness is going to groom him to be her greatest triumph. Uh, which means the the milk and cookies she gave him will be the last nice thing he ever has in his life. But uh, there's a point where Superman has been injured. They have to scan him to make sure he's okay. And so he's in this like chamber being scanned, but he's wearing his red briefs with the belt, but nothing else. <laughs> oh, and it's like, did he take the whole costume off and then take the red briefs off and then put the red briefs back on? Does it mean? Wait, are you are you suggesting that the red briefs are almost independent to the blue leggings, and they that must they be separate. they they attach like garters almost? It's weird, like because yeah. so he's in this you know 
all of Neil Adams' men are very manly. There's, there's hair everywhere. Hairy chest, hairy chest. So he's, he's, he's strung up in his little red briefs and gold belt. And then he goes to get his costume and he, it's like a blue unitard. So apparently the costume is like a blue unitard and, he, and then he pulls the red briefs on over them. Oh, my God. And I could, I could hear Neil Adams as he's drawing this going, right, this is how it is. Right. It's like, just, this is a reaction to the Jim Lee lack of red briefs character design, right? It's, it just <laughs> seems bizarre that there's separate garments. <laughs> I'm, really just, gl- I'm really glad that we're focusing on this. <laughs> well, you know, I feel like Superman and also the guys scanning him, I think they're the other Kryptonians, just go, just go naked. You're, these are doctors. Yep. Hold on, guys. I got to take these off, separate them, make sure to put the belt back on for some reason. And then, uh, Wear these for an exam, and then put them off. Take them off. Put the pants back on. Put the red boots back on. Put the belt on. Meanwhile, everyone's dead because I'm so busy with my clothes. <laughs> this is one of those books I just read because it's 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 silly, but also Neil Adams is still can still bring it. Yeah, uh, he's great. He's, there's he's a, there's amazing. a page where Darkseid's very angry with Lex Luthor, and there's just one of those great dynamic Neil Adams expressions of the hand curling into a fist while he yells at Lex Luthor. It's just wonderful. Yeah, check it out. Awesome. So uh, Thunderbolts number one came out this week. And Thunderbolts is a group of characters that I have a strong affection for, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the original Thunderbolts, the Kurt Busiek, the, the idea of villains posing as heroes. Was Zemo. Gen- Zemo. Zemo with, the, Zemo with a sword. Like there was just so much, there was so much goodness with it. So whenever they try to relaunch Thunderbolts, I always kind of take a look at it. And they keep on swinging and missing. You remember the last time the Thunderbolts was uh, that, that Daniel Way aberration with uh, all characters dressed in red? It was the Red Hulk and Deadpool and Punisher. And- oh, right. Yeah, it was I really bad. That. Well, we've had, yeah. we've had Bendis. We had Warren Ellis do yeah. it, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. There's been some um, okay runs on it. But this time, it's Jim Zub writing it, who's, you know, my, my, people might know him from Skull Kickers and Wayward, uh, books over at Image as well. I think he does some licensed stuff uh, for other folks. But with art by John Mallon and color art by Matt Yackey, you might not remember the name John Mallon, but John Mallon is the artist that was doing the finishes on top of Rob Liefeld when he attempted to bring Youngblood back a couple of years ago. Huh. Yeah. And listen, we try to keep things positive here. Like we, we, like very, like we have a strong rule. Like you can't just pick up a book and say, oh, this sucks, and not right. say why. This was an awful comic book. This is like, to the point where I can't believe Marvel published this. Really? It reads and looks like a book – either in the late 90s or one of those books by those publishers in the back of previews that are kicking around huh. that are, you know, like, it, it, like I, I, I mean, honestly, it was, like, shockingly bad. I mean, John Mallon's art style is very Liefeld-esque, but it's, you know, in terms of that, like, kind of 90s look and feel. But he's not Marvel. Like, he could be, I, I mean, every art, I think every artist with practice could be good. I mean, you know, we, uh, you know, like, we, we've, we've talked to Darwin Cook or, you know, about the challenges with art. And he just, and his, his one thing is, like, you just got to practice. You put in the time. But, I mean, I've come, it, it's funny because like, I've come to expect a certain level of quality from Marvel. Right. And this just did this did not connect. Like it was a complete disconnect as far as what you would expect from Marvel. It doesn't fit the modern Marvel style or the modern at, at sensibility all. at Marvel. Yeah, at all. And then story wise, I can't tell you what was happening yeah. at all. Um, basically, what I mean, I could tell you briefly is that it's the original Thunderbolts of Atlas, Moonstone, the the tech guy, uh, what's Techno or whatever his name is, and Mach Five. Like it's those original four mm-hmm. and Bucky. 
And this is coming out of that Pleasant Hill Avengers crossover that we talked about last week that was forgettable, where basically Bucky saved the Thunderbolts. The Thunderbolts were imprisoned in that Pleasant Hill thing. That all went down. Bucky saved them and says, okay, well, I saved you. Now you owe me and you got to help me with this. But I don't know what this is that they're doing. Hmm. It's never established as who they're fighting, who they're fighting against. Then on top of it, um, the little girl that was the manifestation of the cosmic cube in that Pleasant Hill the, that was the center of all that, mm-hmm. Bucky has now is taken care of, and she lives with them in their secret base. And it's just weird. It's just weird. So it's and, uh, yeah, my five dads. Yeah, pretty much. Well, the one of Moonstone's a woman. That's right. But I mean, it looks and reads like a Liefeld comic from the late nineties and and not in a good way, unfortunately. So, I mean, it was just, and if anything, like, and I, and I really, you know, hate to shit on a book or call it out, but like, I love the Thunderbolts and I want to see something good with it. And this, I mean, I mean, it's, it was just, it was just shocking. I just can't believe that, that they, they, they printed it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So unfortunate. So I'm, uh, I need to say I will not be continuing on. All right. Well, what would a show be without some star Wars corner, Ron? Well, uh, some Star Wars Corner. We got we, a little, little bit of an adventure with Star Wars Corner, and I actually I conferred with Josh on this. So, uh, so as we mentioned earlier, Josh got laid off this morning. But before <laughs> he got before he got laid off, or before he boarded his flight, we were talking about Poe Dameron number two, and I recognized that I was very, very hard on the first issue. Yeah, Charles Soule writing it, Phil Noto, because. There's a high standard here with Star Wars, right? High standard plus, there's the Oscar Isaac effect. You've got a very high standard for anything having to do with Oscar Isaac. Exactly. That said, I would like to issue some praise to Charles Soule. Oh, and, and, well, of course, Phil Noto, Phil Noto gets all the praise because the, right. the pages are beautiful and Phil Noto is the best and all that stuff. Uh, this issue introduces a villain, uh, so introducing a new character, right? And it's a, it's a dude that works for the First Order and he's got a pencil thin mustache. Uh-huh. Like he he basically looks like a 1940s movie star, right? And he's kind of, <laughs> he's suave. Nice. Uh, his his name is Agent Terex, T E R E X, and um, he's leading a, a squadron of stormtroopers to go attack Poe Dameron where he is in the last issue. But we get a little flashback, and it's Captain Phasma briefing him on his ship as to what he needs to do, and he's there in an emperor like chair with an open collared shirt. Right. And he's got, and he's got female aliens around him serving him like very good character of Charles soul. I got to applaud you on this. Like just like the, the uh, roguish quality that is, uh, that, that was very entertaining. Now that said with praise comes uh, complaint. Okay. In that flashback where he's being roguish and he's got his open collar, he's talking to captain phasma and he references the beverage he's drinking. Oh, and he goes, can we get on with this, Phasma? I have brandy to drink. Oh, what? Right? Oh, God, right? Why? This, this is Star Wars does not have brandy in it. It's not, it's not, there, you cannot have our things. I mean, and, and the thing is, I, it's not like Star Wars is perfect because I, ha- I still have a very big problem with an Empire Strikes Back when Han is going to go out to look for Luke on the Tauntaun and he yells at the deck officer, deck officer. And uh, and he says, "I'll see you in hell." Right. Like, there's no hell in Star Wars. Like, in their belief system, perhaps you know maybe, that, but, that yeah. you can you can. That's not a, like a specific product that we have here. So you could yep. say in every religion, maybe there's some sort of hell. Yeah. And, however, maybe. it's like saying, "Hold on, I need a new Budweiser." Right. Exactly. You know, and the thing and the thing is, like, if you make it some sort of you know, like, do what Star Trek did, where there was Romulan ale or some you know, some right. sort of like add some alien component to it. Right. But don't just don't call it brandy. Mon calamari and brandy. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or or uh, Malasair brandy or something. You know, I mean, pick your planet. You know. I well, yeah. I, mean, I get it. I, I, you're right. I think it has to have a qualifier because I'd be okay with like some being like spiced wine or something like that. As, right. As long as there's some sort of exotic modifier to it. Otherwise. It's too close to here. You don't want that. He flirts close with it because he says, this brandy was aged for 50 years, but it wouldn't taste nearly as fine without that Kessel Spice. Right. So call it Kessel Spice brandy or call it, you know what I mean? Like give, right. it, give it some sort of qualifier. But, but it, twice in the scene refers to it just as brandy. And that's just not, it's, there's, no. And, what did Josh and say about this? He, he, I explained the scenario and he looked at me and he goes, you're absolutely right. All right. There you go. Josh approved. Josh approved. So there you go. And then the only other Star Wars corner thing I wanted to mention was that the stupid May the 4th be with you, <laughs> uh, May 4th, landed on comic book day. Right. And so Marvel did uh, a line of their dollar True Believers comics to celebrate Star Wars Day, which I think is a great idea. Yeah. One, one of them happened to be a reprint of Droids number one, which, which was the comic book from 1986 to capitalize on the cartoon that was on at the time. Right. And so I grabbed it because I looked at it, and it was drawn by John Romita Sr. We just talked about him. Exactly. It was John Romita Sr. drawing in that droids cartoon style, totally cartoony, looks unlike anything John Romita's ever done. And it had that mid-'80s Marvel. I mean, it was colored by – I think it was colored by Marie Severin. Wow. Like it was just, uh, yeah, awesome. it was just – yeah, exactly. Like, and, oh, the story is awful. Like, it <laughs> makes no sense. And it's just like, uh, like C-3PO and R2 are on some ship and they crash and something happened. I don't know. It just – it makes no sense. And even the writer uh, – it was written by Dave Manak, who I've never heard of. But, like, he wrote all of R2's beeps and boops wrong. Like, they were – like, Zs and Xs in them. And I was like, no – but from an art standpoint, it just cracks me up that it's like legends like John Romita Sr. and Marie Severin working on this book in 1986. Well, there's a lot of that going on. Kirby was drawing those Super Friends comics with DC. Yeah. Yeah. Some work is work, right? Licensed work, which is great. Yeah. Work is work. Yeah. But, but uh, I thought that was funny. So if you got a dollar and you want a, you want a nice little time capsule, go check that out. So those are the books we wanted to talk about this week. Go to fanboy.com. You can find the post for this show. You can talk about those books or other books you read uh, this week in comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the comics seem to never stop, Ron. When, when, do, we, when do they take a break? They, they really never stop. They really, it's, 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 uh, and I don't, I feel like our general American society does not give the comics industry enough credit for operating on a 52 week basis. Every week, these things ship. So let's just take a moment to thank Diamond, our distributor, <laughs> the retailers that are out there, the publishers. The publishers themselves, uh, everyone works very hard to get these comics out, even when they're not very good. You know, even TV shows get a hiatus. I mean, Yeah, comics never break. They never take a break. Let's do some audience questions. The first one is from Colton from What Was Fort McMurray, Alberta, Canada. Oh. He says, hey, this is Colton from What Was Fort McMurray, Alberta, Canada. Not sure if you heard what happened this week up north, especially since it didn't involve maple syrup, hockey, beer. Tim Horton, (laughs) someone apologized to another person, but my city of 100,000 people had to evacuate because the forest fires started to overtake it. Before I hustled out of there, I had some time to select what necessary items I would take with me. The only comic book-related uh, items I took were my 10 volumes of Chew, which is one of my favorite series, and I thought it would kill a lot of time while I was waiting to hear what would happen. I'm writing this email from the airport in my way to stay with relatives to ask you what comic or unconventional items you would take with you if you were under the same circumstances. Please share the reason why this item is so important to you. Keep entertaining me. Please have a good one. I just feel horrible. Wow. For Colton and everyone in Fort yeah, McMurray. No. I mean, that's just a terrible thing that's happening. And it's amazing yeah. that, Col- that Colton was able to get out and 
I don't know why you wrote us, but thank you. I'm just, thank you. Thank, thank, yeah, and we hope we, we hope that you and your family are okay. And yeah. and and listen, like we'll make a lot of jokes about Canada and people apologizing and being polite. But uh, uh, we have we have friends up in Canada, and we're very aware of what's happening up in the, in Fort McMurray. And uh, just hope that Colton and his family are safe and everybody's okay, and that they can. I don't know what they're gonna do. That's a that's a that's a bad situation up yeah. there. But, and even yeah. even one of the, I saw one of the refugee camps had to be evacuated after the oh jeez because you know, the fire was moving so fast. So I, almost, I mean, so that so that so that said, let's talk about comics. <laughs> well, my original answer before I read through the whole email was, I will not if it's a fire, I'm not taking anything. But well, think my, about it. Other than my body, but you know, yeah. I get his reasoning. Well, no, okay. Why. So 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 here, so, yeah. Here's the concept: is that is that a fire is coming? You're gonna have to evacuate, but you have time. You have you have a moment right. to grab to grab things. So what do you grab? Well, currently I have a go bag, as every good <laughs> Californian should have. I don't uh, have a go bag. Well, do I need be, one of those? You're gonna be wishing you had my cans of food. Oh my gosh! Well, you're closer to the fault. Than, well, now San Francisco. No, actually. you're in much worse shape than I am. Yeah, anyway, I'm in much worse shape. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to go back because you'll just be dead. So. Yeah. <laughs> Did I, wait, did I ever tell you about when my mother called me once? Like, I'm living in San Francisco for like three or four years, and my mother calls me randomly and asks me if I have an earthquake preparedness kit. Right. And I said, and I was like, well, no, I don't, but I, it'll be all right. Don't worry. And like, it's, they, they, don't, they don't happen that often. And she's like, well, you know, when it happens, you know, the electricity and the ATM machines aren't going to work. So you're going to need cash. You should, keep, you should keep some cash stash. And she's coming out with me with these very specific details. Oh, weird. And, I, and I said, Mom, did you like read a book or something? Like, what, what, what is the concern? And she goes, well, I just read a Danielle Steele novel where there was an earthquake in San Francisco and it outlined what, what will happen. And I was like, well, I feel like the Danielle Steele novel reality might be different than the actual reality. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, anyway right, so, so, okay. So you have, your, you have, your have no books in my go bag. And the thing is, it's tougher because if you have watched any of our live shows in the past, you've seen my giant wall of trades. That no longer exists. I took it down, and the vast majority of those are now in storage right. at, the moment, at the moment. So, I mean, I have a handful of books on display. I don't know. I might grab, like, The Dark Knight Returns. It's sort of a sentimental favorite. I still have the copy that I got when I was 10. Yep. I could grab like the hardcover of New Frontier, I guess. Well, it's funny because in reacting to what Col- Col- Colton grabbed his ten volumes of Chew, and my first thought is like, that's great. Chew is your favorite comic, and you want to read that while you're killing time, while you're waiting to go to a refugee camp or go home or whatever you're going. But like the way I look at it, I was like, yeah, but you, you can just you could just replace those, right? Like exactly. th- like that's actively yeah. in print. Yeah, yeah. My, my first thought, my first approach is I grab. I don't actually grab any any actual comics. I grab my portfolios of original art. Because because those are and which I don't have any, I only I don't have any of my pieces of original art framed or on the wall they're all in portfolios and you can grab those because those are irreplaceable those are just right. the, the original art once I've got those secure then I'm looking at my shelves and I'm thinking okay what can I not get you know first thing that comes to mind is that first printing Rocketeer artist edition. You're, you're, right, so you're strapping a lot of stuff to your back for this I'm trip. Really, I'm really, I'm really, it's going to be a heavy load out of the giant house. Giant <laughs> art portfolios because those pages are not small, and the, yeah. and the artist edition also not small. Yeah, yeah. So you strap and, it on and then putting the backpack over that has well, a, then like, I'm not done yet. Shield that, on the back. I'm not done yet. Then I think I got to go with uh, my Captain Britain omnibus. <laughs> 
Because oh. really, that thing's out of that sucker's out of print. That goes for like five hundred dollars on Amazon now. So I mean, and you, you could be able to ward off looters or wolves with it when you're out when you're living out in the woods. I'm fairly certain it's now. Keep in mind, it's the Alan Moore run on Captain Britain with Alan Davis. So I'm fairly certain there are magic properties within right. the omnibus. So I think that there's a spell of protection or something that comes with it. So uh, that's that's what you you want is a book that can also be used as a weapon. Yeah, exactly. So maybe the Amazing Spider-Man omnibus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough call, though. I mean, like, I think in, in, in all seriousness, in those situations, I mean, like I said, I, I absolutely do go for the art. But then, you know, I, you just think of what, what matters to you and what, you know, choose your favorite book. So grab grab your 10 volumes of Chew. New Frontier is your favorite, Connor. Grab that. You know, like, it, it, it you know, I, I look at it with a little more level of, you know, kind of what can I not replace. This is the kind of thing, by the way, that keeps me up at night. The idea that like, there's all these things that we have that are so irreplaceable and, like, and the thought of losing them, like, and that they're just things. They're just yeah, things. things. You know, like, I'm, as we're getting older, I'm balancing that between yes. the, you know, like, like what does it matter? These are just things that, you know, it's the whole fight club and, you know, the the, the, the things are what, dra- you know, drag you down and how do you, you know, but then at the same time, it's like there's emotional resonance with those things and losing them, I just. Uh, emotional currency yeah. and there yeah. are artifacts that are attached to those emotional currency. Exactly. I get it. At the same time, though, if my entire town burned down. Yeah. I'm not necessarily going to worry about the comics. I've got right. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm much more worried about the computer. <laughs> right. So, anyway, all right. Well, Colton, we, we hope you're safe and, and everybody you care about is safe and let us know if we can help in any way. Yeah. Um, yeah, please write in. Let us know, let us know that you're doing okay. But, all right. Next email is from Joe from Pittsburgh who says, do you ever take the cost of an issue into account when deciding on what should be the pick of the week? I asked this after noticing that Civil War II will be $4.99 for each issue with only a slightly increased page count rather than only going $4.99 for issue one like Marvel has been doing recently. It makes me think that a great issue of Saga $2.99 would always be more valuable than an issue of Civil War II, even if that book ends up being fantastic. No. Yeah, we don't we don't take price into consideration. Although sometimes I I like when you pick Batman and it's five ninety nine because DC's you know you know ringing as much value as they can out of that. I it, I always cringe a little. Sometimes you know? it's a talking point in the discussion of the book. Yeah, you're like, oh, this issue was double the pages, and so it's a great you know you get a lot of story here. But as a story delivery device, not as a factor, you know, when when DC put out that ten cent. Batman book way back then that may have been yeah. thick. I don't remember. I don't remember, but it wouldn't have been the reason. It would have just been a talking point. Right. I mean, and it's tough because I feel like the price of the comics is a completely the the pick of the week conversation is completely what's not not it's it, it, we're talking about the art, we're talking about the story, we're talking about the content. Yeah. We're not talking about the economics. The economics of the cost of the issues is a completely different story in and of itself that is that is completely detached from the work that the writer or the artist put into it. And it's unfortunate because it's a conversation I think that needs to continue to happen in comics because I think what Marvel and DC are doing with with the price gouging is is uh, is it, it, it just it's horrifying. But yeah, we, the, 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 you know they're in danger of pricing out their customers. Although Jason Wood, the podcast from Eleven O'clock Comics, used to write a financial column for iFanboy, and he wrote an article once about how I think inelastic comic prices are. I believe that's the proper term. That it doesn't matter how much they cost; that the the fans will still pay it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. Like, we can't complain about the price of things if we keep buying them. You know, like that, 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 that's a common thing. I mean, it's like you can bitch and moan about the cost of something, but the only, you're, if, you, if you're really that upset about it, then don't pay for it. And well, the listen, will, will the show go on if comics cost 10 bucks an issue? <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. But for now, it just, it's just not a factor in the decision to pick of the week. It's, just, it's all about what is enjoyed the most. And that very rarely has to do with the price. I, I can't imagine it would ever have to do with the price. 
Yeah, yeah. I, we got we made a decision that it's basically it's it's one hundred percent on quality, um, and you know we're not taking that into account. So, but but it, it worth worth asking. So, yeah, thank you, Joe. Finally, Lucas from Nulenbach, Austria, which I'm sure is beautiful, because Austria is all beautiful. He writes and says, <laughs> in February of 2009, yes, indeed, you were that you are that old. Well, thanks for reminding me, Lucas. You did a video show about Marvel Knights and the House of Ideas. During the introduction, you said, quote, first of all, he transcribed this, which is yeah, Which is crazy. <laughs> uh, right around 97, 98, Marvel wasn't putting out the best stuff. There was a little nuggets of greatness, but for the most part, it was not good, consistent quality. I feel like they were trying to keep one foot in the past, one foot going forward. Something had to happen. Something needed to be done. And uh, that's not a direct quote because there's some ellipses in there. But Lucas says, this got me thinking for about two minutes after I thought, meh, I know the three guys who are experts, so why bother with my gray matter when I can just bother them? Is Marvel's situation at the time comparable to DC's situation now? Could they benefit by outsourcing material to another studio? So I guess they would never consider doing this because it would look like admitting creative bankruptcy. So which... Real or imaginary studio of creative talents, could you imagine being the next event comics to DC's Marvel Knights? I don't think that they're comparable comparable situations, yeah, because I think that I think Marvel was both on the brink of financial and business collapse as well as creative bankruptcy. Whereas as far as I know, DC is a healthy business. Well, DC that, makes a ton of money on their collections. Yeah, they, I exactly, mean even if they yeah. were just a collection business, they're making tens of millions of dollars selling trades. Yeah, and and despite speculation or or you know whatever you know you know rumors or anything that we have, as far as I can tell, they have the complete backing of their corporate overlords. You know, like the the like clearly you know Warner Brothers or Time Warner. I don't know what that what what the state of the conglomerate is, but whoever's above them is saying, yeah, keep doing what you're doing because we're doing all this other stuff over here. So it's not like it's not like they're on the brink of going away. Yeah, the only reason Marvel did the drastic things they did was because they were on the brink of going out of business. Yeah. Because they were that, a, a private company that was bankrupt. Yeah. So that's the extreme. And the thing is, is that I think that, you know, I think DC, while not on the verge of business collapse, is absolutely, in my opinion, yes. as close to creative bankrupt as, as you get. But I, I think that they would, would, wouldn't take a drastic measure of outsourcing a series of, of uh, titles to an outside studio because the people who are leading the company are the people responsible for the creative bankruptcy and don't have the pride or the whatever to admit it and make that change. It, it takes a special kind of person to be like, I screwed up, I'm out. Yeah. You know, most yep. people are going to try to fix it yep. or, or believe that they have the – I mean you don't get put in a position of leadership unless you think your ideas are the best ones. Right. So it takes a certain amount of narcissism anyway to be in charge. Yep. It's tough. Yeah, But it's let's tough. play the game. So let's just say, I mean, the joke's always, you know, put Mark Wade in charge of, of DC. Yeah, yeah. He, he didn't seem to like being in charge of Boom. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I wonder how, how in charge he was and what he could do, I right. think. Although he got, a, he got a movie deal out of that, of that being in True, charge of Boom. True, he did. Yeah, congratulations, so. by the way, to Mark Wade and Peter Krause. Yeah. I mean, we, we were saying it earlier, although in the more negative side, but give it to Mark Miller. Give it to give it to oh, Miller World. Miller would be interesting. Yeah, have, have you talk about a studio, Miller World, Ooh. with Mark, Mark Miller, and then look at that lineup of Frank Quietly, I'm blanking the uh, Yu, Eminem, well, uh, you got Goran Parlov, Eminem, now Capullo, Raphael Capullo, Raphael Albuquerque. Look at the artists that he's worked with, even Duncan Fergredo, who right. you know, like you know, like I think that you give him four or five DC books, and I bet you that that would get people talking. Yeah, that would that would actually be huge. Yeah, that would be the the closest I think you could get to having Marvel Knights uh, situation. Yep. So yep. there you go. Any questions or comments you want to get in the conversation of the show? You can email us at contact at ifanboy.com. Don't forget to tell us who you are, where you're from, and 
Just like last week's show, if you want to email us in a little voice clip asking a question, you can do that as well. Now, we're not just talking about weekly comics, Ron. We got a no, lot we're of, not. A lot of special shows over the last month or so. We got some more coming at you. We talked about Daredevil Season 2. You can find that back on the feed. And uh, we got some, another one coming up this weekend. Actually, behind this show. Yes, actually, yeah. So if you, after listening to the show, go look in your feed, and you can find the brand spanking new review of Captain America Civil War, where uh, I believe me, <laughs> Connor, as well as Josh, will have discussed what is seeming to be the biggest uh, superhero movie release of the year. Yes. And, uh, yeah, so and I've seen it multiple times now. You've seen it once. Uh, yes. Josh has seen it once. I actually saw most of it with Josh. <laughs> We're going to talk all about that in the podcast. But, yeah, so definitely. So look right below this uh, episode in your feed or go to ifanboy.com and you can find the link to download the episode to hear that. Uh, yeah, for a very exciting time. And we've also got a, a new X-Men movie on the horizon. So, X-Men uh, at the end of the month. Uh, I yeah. don't know if we'll do Preacher. Probably not. I say we do the pilot. Okay. Why not? I, I, you yeah. know, I'm down for it. I'm just trying to... I'm down. Yeah, you and me will do the pilot. Fuck Josh. But it's the same week <laughs> as X-Men. I don't know if we want to do two shows in one week. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Yeah, maybe we'll, we'll space out. Maybe we'll do maybe we'll do Preacher right before the... I don't Watch know. Watch we'll this space. Yeah, yeah. Stay tuned. Listen, just subscribe to the feed. If you're already subscribed, don't do anything. If you haven't subscribed, go subscribe. It takes a second. Just click the button. Just do it. Also, uh, we see new people all the time on Twitter telling us they've discovered Goodfellas Minute. It's still out there, goodfellasminute.com. You can find our show. It's evergreen. It's always there. All 145 episodes of us talking about the movie Goodfellas one minute at a time. It was me and Ron and Josh as well as a bunch of special guests throughout the course of the show. Uh, it's going to be always, it's gonna be there. So if you haven't heard it yet, you still can. It's, it's new to you, like you used to say about reruns. It might be our greatest accomplishment ever, Connor. <laughs> we live to tell the tale. Yep. <laughs> so, so yeah. <laughs> is where you can find that. Yes, excellent. As long as we keep paying for the server. Um, all right. And also, ifanboy.com. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what's also evergreen is ifanboy.com. It's been there for the past 10 years, and hopefully, we'll be there for the next 10. Uh, you can go to ifanboy.com and uh, you can comment on this show. You can talk about the books that you liked or disagree with us on the things that we talked about. If you like Thunderbolts, please be heard because I'm really curious. So, go to ifanboy.com. Uh, the first, uh, at the top of the page is the link to the show, as well as all of our previous shows are all behind that. So, you can go back and find all this great content we've been making for the past 10 years. If you're on the social media, make sure you follow us at facebook.com slash ifanboy or follow us on Twitter at ifanboy. Um, and also you can follow us individually. You can find uh, Connor at CS Kilpatrick and I'm at RonXO. And if you want to follow Josh, you can follow him at, at J.A. Flanagan. Good times on the Twitter. Did you forget so. yours? I did for a moment. I, I blanked on what my Twitter name was. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Which is funny because it's so memorable. So, yeah. <laughs> and finally, if you like the show, please write us a review in iTunes or better yet, tell your friends who read comics and or listen to podcasts. Uh, introduce your mom. You yeah. like moms. It's Mother's Day weekend. You know, maybe <laughs> while you're having – if you're listening to this now on Mother's Day weekend, invite your mom to come listen to you with it. G- with give, the gift, give the gift of podcasts for Mother's Day. The gift of iFanboy. <laughs> yeah, really, give the gift of <laughs> moms, listen, Every mom listen, really mom. wants – Listen, Mom, happy Mother's Day. You should listen to Serial and then I fanboy. <laughs> You've heard about podcasts, right? Serial invented them. And there's more of them out there. Some of them are about comic books. And there you go. All right. Spread the love. That's it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. <laughs> All right. Until next time. These two jamokes are out. I'm Ron. I'm Connor. See you next week. Bye.